We're just going to spend a few minutes here in prayer uh, before we get to the message today. Uh, we just got some things going on that have happened, and uh, just feel the need to, to approach our great God in, uh, in prayer. So if you would please join me. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you and just acknowledge that you are sovereign. You are a great God that uh, is the God above all gods. It's King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we consider it our humble privilege to approach you and, and just know that you hear us, Lord. Uh, we, just, we just trust you for all that we have, and we, we just praise you for, for listening when we cry out. Father, this morning we, we have two things on our minds um, that, are, that are somewhat different, Lord. Uh, first of all, uh, Lori Wilson has cancer, Lord. Uh, that's no surprise to you. You know that because you know everything. But, Lord, it's a shock to us. And we just pray, uh, as, uh, as time moves on here, that you would be a comfort to Lori and Jamie and the family. Lord, we pray that uh, as a church, we would surround them and support them. Uh, Father, you are a God of life, not a God of death. It's, it's your will that we live and that we live for you, and we praise you for all the days that you've given us. Father, you are the great physician. You bring healing, even where at times there's no hope. Lord, we just... We pray for healing for Lori. Uh, we pray that uh, she knows that uh, whatever uh, happens is your will, Lord, that you're with her. We just praise you that you're sovereign and you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son for us. And we, put, we just put all things in your hands, Lord, as, as, we, as we pray for healing here. And Father, uh, on the other end, we, we praise you. For a life well lived, for Stevo, um, he's in glory with you, uh, which is all he ever wanted. Uh, Lord, we we thank you for a loving family that that raised him and cared for him for for many many years and and um, taught him about you. And we praise you that he he was a Christian, that he loved you, and he and he just wanted to seek you. Lord, I'm reminded of a little story from yesterday that. When Steve was baptized, he thought that was going to be it. He went under the water. He was going to see you. Then um, he went to the water anyway, Lord, because um, he wanted to see you that badly. And and we just praise you that he had such a faith and was such an example. Uh, Lord, life is precious, and Steve was no mistake. He was an inspiration in so many ways to all of us, Lord. Um, just in his love for you and his undying faith, Lord, he was a Cubs fan, and, and he always thought they were going to win. And he had faith in that when no one else did. And um, he had faith in you that someday you would bring him home and, and he would see you and spend eternity with you. Lord, uh, we've learned so many things from Steve. Please help us to remember that he had no enemies. All of his friends were everyone that he ever met. His hope never died, and his faith never died, even though his body is gone. He's with you. He's where his body is perfect. And we just praise you that he could be such an example to us, that his family, and especially Callan Carolee, could be such an example of just loving and nurturing someone that was not normal, was, was not like the rest of us, but was just as worthy of your son's death as any of us, Lord. So we just thank you. And we ask that we can uh, remember Steve, and he can be an example to us forever, Lord. So just be with his family in this time of grieving. 
be with us all that we surround Cal and Carolee and the family and support them. And we just uh, praise you for this day, Lord, and all that you've given us. Amen. All right. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. That was definitely much needed with um, just everything that's going on. Just been praying for the Kaufmans and the Wilson family. And so um, with that, I just want to say good morning to you guys. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Gary. Um, I am the youth pastor here, and I've had the great opportunity and privilege to um, work with the students in the community here and at this church for the last couple of years. And a couple months ago, uh, Trey sent me an email while I was at home. Um, so live where I'm originally from is a suburb just outside of Detroit, and I was sitting at home. And Trey emailed me and asked me if I would want to speak um, during this series right now. And at first, I was scared to death because, <laughs> um, you know, with great opportunity comes the great responsibility, just like Spider-Man said. But um, <laughs> I also was just so excited because God had already been working in my heart on what I was going to be sharing today. Um, I remember back in November um, reading my Bible and reading in First Corinthians 7 and just really wanting to understand what it meant. And I remember reading it for a week straight just over and over and over again. Um, and then now today that's what we're going to be talking about And so before we start, I just want to go ahead and pray. So if you just um, bow your heads and close your eyes, let's just uh, bring this morning to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, just this morning. God, I thank you for bringing us all here today, Lord. God, I pray that um, you would just allow my words to be your words, Lord God, and that you would just speak through me. God, I pray that you um, would just put my pride aside, Lord God, and just be here this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you would just allow what is said this morning to resonate in our hearts and that you would allow us to learn something and grow closer to you through what is said by you this morning, Lord God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning, um, what I want to do first is I want to do something maybe a little bit different. Um, I want to share a story with you guys. And so all I want you to do right now is I just want you to kind of sit back relax a little bit, and I just want you to think about this story that I'm going to read to you. So I'm going to go ahead and start, and like I said, just listen and just think about um, the story. It goes like this. Growing up with both parents drinking was not easy. There was lots of yelling, swearing, throwing things, and getting beatings, including watching my mom getting hit by my dad. Staying up sometimes all night with them, putting their problems on me. I lied a lot to others about how I got my scars because I was embarrassed to tell them that things were being thrown at me out of my parents' drunkenness. I ran away from home numerous times, staying out all night, trying to run away from the chaos that was at home. I had visions of how I was going to kill my parents because I wanted the pain to stop. And at age 15, I started my mission of finding the love that I had only seen in movies because that was the only good example of a good relationship that I had. I had a dream of having a family like the Brady Bunch. I continued to pursue relationship after relationship, including marriages. When I was fresh out of high school, I married my high school sweetheart, or so I thought at the time he was at least. We graduated together, and he went right into the Army. Um, He was stationed in Oklahoma, so I obviously followed him there because I wanted to be with the man that I loved. After six months of our marriage, I found out that he was cheating on me and had and had been doing drugs, so I divorced him, only to move back in with my parents. 
A couple of years later, I was remarried to another man. Not long into our marriage, I began to notice how incredibly lazy he was. He didn't want to work or do anything, and we fought constantly. So after two years, I divorced him as well. By this point, I was 22 years old, married and divorced twice already. I continued to date, continuing my attempt to find the fairy tale love that movies always talked about. I waited until I was 30 before I finally found that Mr. Right, or so I thought he was. He was perfect. He was hardworking, fun, loving, charming, and sweet. Everything that a woman could ever want in a man. Before we got married, we already had our fair share of problems, so we decided to go and get counseling. Counselor told us, better yet, or told me, better yet, warned me that the man I wanted to marry, Mr. Wright, had problems. I was told we shouldn't get married because of the anger he had towards his mother, but as I sat there, I thought to myself, everyone has problems. We can work through these things. That won't affect us. So in 1990, I ended up marrying Mr. Wright, thinking to myself, I could change him. And so two years into our marriage, we ended up um, having a son. And then four years into that marriage, we ended up having our daughter. I finally had the family that I always wanted. Or so you would think. You would think that I would have been happy by this point. However, my husband, Mr. Wright, was abusive towards me, both verbally and emotionally, and I no longer felt loved by him, so I did the worst thing possible. I I felt the worst thing possible. I began to feel the need for love once again. And there was a man at work that I worked with who was encouraging to me and told me I was beautiful. So It was something that I hadn't heard in a very long time. And so because of that, I ended up having an affair with this man resulting in yet another divorce for myself after seven years of marriage. However, it was through this devastation that God grabbed a hold of me. He gently and lovingly took me by the hand and showed me what true love was all about. God then asked me not to date for a year, and I said yes. Then it was like every fear hit me in the face, every insecurity. Will God tell me that I am a loser like my parents did growing up? And after the three divorces, will I still feel like a loser? Will he abandon me like most people had in my life? Will he hit me when I screw up like my parents did? Will he love me? Will he love all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly that I have? I remember God telling me and showing me that those things were all lies that Satan wanted me to believe and asked me to allow him to show me what true love really was. This scared me to death, and I had no trust because it was such a scary place to go. Fortunately, my life was so messed up at that point that it felt like my only option that I really had left. So after not dating for a year, um, I remember thinking how much I enjoyed that year, and I felt true and unconditional love for the first time. This, for for me, was life-changing. I found more freedom than I knew what to do with. I didn't have to go look for love in men anymore. I had the one true love, God's love. So that's the end of the story, and you might be wondering why I'm sharing this with you this morning. And I want to share this story with you this morning because we're going to be taking a look at singleness. Um, I know most of you guys here are not single. Um, I know a lot of you are married, um, but there are some single people. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at, for single people, how we need to be living. And then also, um, for married people, I want 
to take a look at how you guys can encourage the single people in their walk with God. However, there's also another reason why I share this story with you. It's a prime example of our world today. This woman's story is a prime example of our world. So often we are busy trying to find that one true love. We're looking for the fairy tale ending that it talks about in all the movies and in all the books. And the other reason that I share it with you this morning is because this story is incredibly close to my heart and has affected me directly, and that's because this story is my mom's story. My mom's now 54 years old. She's going to be 55 at the end of this month. Um, She's been single for the last 17, 18 years now. I also share this story with you because knowing about my mom's life, I didn't know that she had been married before my dad. I didn't know that she cheated on my dad until about a year and a half ago. And I didn't know how much she struggled with being single and looking for love in all the wrong places. And when she told me about that and I realized that she struggled with that, I started to understand myself a little bit better because growing up, I always wanted that fairy tale ending. I always wanted to find the right one and the one who was going to love me. And I remember dating this girl in high school, and it was a terrible relationship. Um, I don't think that it possibly probably could have gotten any worse, even if it wanted to. Um, I was just so caught up in in this girl and having somebody love me and feeling so loved by somebody that I, we dated for about a year and a half and um, we broke up once or twice and ended up dating again. And I remember my mom telling to me, or telling me um, that she wanted me to listen to a song. And that song was called By Your Side. It's by the band 10th Avenue North. Um, I'm going to have the lyrics up on the screen. And I just want to read these lyrics to you. The first time that I listened to this song, you know, I went ahead and listened. It just says this. It says, Why are you trying to earn grace? Why are you crying? Let me lift up your face. Just don't turn away. Why are you looking for love? Why are you still searching as if I'm not enough? To where will you go, child? Tell me where will you run? To where will you run? Because I'll be by your side wherever you fall. In the de- dead of night, whenever you call. And please don't fight these hands that are holding you. My hands are holding you. And I remember hearing that song, and I immediately started crying. Tears filled my eyes because I understood that I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I was looking for love in this one girl or in any woman that was willing to love me. And I finally understood myself a whole lot better and that I needed to be looking to who God was and God's love for me and not other people. And so, again, you're probably asking yourself, you know, like, Gary, why do you share her story with us still? And the reason is that your story might not be the same as hers. It might be totally different. But at the same time, it's the exact same. At one point or another, whether you're married or single right now, we've all been searching for that special someone. We've always wanted that somebody to love us, that husband or that wife to have a family with. That is the American dream. You know, as we've always been told, the American dream is to have that family. And that's what everything in the world tells us today is that we, you know, you look on a commercial and it can be a commercial that has to do with house insurance or car insurance and somehow it has to do with love and finding the right one. That is our culture today. And just a lot of what God has kind of been teaching me a lot lately 
um, that we're going to take a look at in a second here in 1 Corinthians is about how we actually need to be living as single people and just people in general. I think oftentimes, especially in the Christian community, it's so often thought that I can't talk to a girl without there being a problem. Or a girl can't talk to a guy without somebody thinking something. You know, that they are interested in each other, especially for single people, obviously. Um, but something that I've really been learning lately is that, you know, there's a chart in a sense almost. that Like, we have the marriage relationship up here, and this is the goal. We need to get married someday. And then a step below that is the dating relationship. And we want to get there so we can get to marriage. And then before dating, we have our friendships. And you need to become friends with somebody before you can date them, before you can marry them. And my challenge to you guys today is this. What if we were to flip that? What if the marriage relationship wasn't the ultimate goal? What if instead, where we started and where we wanted to get to was the kingdom relationships of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? And that, through that, God allowed it to trickle down into a dating relationship, possibly, or marriage. So that's just kind of what I want to talk to you guys about today. Um, One quote that I want to read just before we jump into Scripture is also going to be on the screen. And I remember seeing this quote when I was about 14, 15 years old. So right around the time that I kind of started dating this girl in high school. And I remember reading this quote and I remember thinking to myself, I want that. But I didn't fully understand what it meant. I just remember reading it and thinking, I want that. I want what this says. But I didn't have a clue in the world as to how to get it. I didn't understand it at all. And that's what a lot of God has just been doing in my life, and I'm hoping that he can through this morning for us. So that quote says this. It says, A woman's heart should be so lost in God that a man has to seek him just to find her. I'm going to read it one more time. A man's heart should be so lost in God that a man has to seek the Lord just to find her. And that for me, like I said, I didn't understand what that meant. And I'm still you know, learning what that means, obviously. But I feel like I've really, truly began to have a better understanding of that. And I hope that through this morning, you can too. And so with that, this morning, um, I want you to go ahead, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 29. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, the text will be on the screen Um, So you can look at that. And while you're flipping there, um, I just want to give you kind of some background on the book of Corinthians. So if you don't know, uh, the book of Corinthians was written by Paul, who was the greatest missionary to walk the earth. Um, And he was writing this to the church that was in this town of Corinth. And the reason that he was doing that was because the believers in this town were actually struggling to stand out as believers, You know, they would see the people who were non-believers and then the people who were, and there was no difference in their lives. Um, There was sin of every sort that was surrounding them and that they were falling into and that they would take part in. Um, You know, there was immorality. There was spiritual immaturity that was taking part in the, the believers in this town. And so they were being tested, you know, and... They were failing. And so it was because of these problems that Paul wrote uh, chapter, or that he wrote the Corinthians. And so like I said, we're going to take a look in uh, chapter 7 and verses 25 through 29. And so what I want to go ahead and do first is I just want to read through um, 
these passages, and then I want to go back through and pick them apart and help us to better understand them. So I'm just going to go ahead and read through, and then we'll go back through verse by verse. It says this. It says, Now about, about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released then. Are you free from such a commitment? Then do not go looking for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. And so like I was telling you guys earlier, uh, chapter 7 was actually something that back in November before I ever even thought about wanting to talk about this at all, God, I started reading it and I was just really curious and almost confused by it because if you read all of chapter 7, it talks all about marriage and singleness and a lot of different things. Um, And I would really encourage you to go home and read all of chapter 7 and just chew on it a little bit. Um, But I just wanted to focus in on a few passages here because I felt like that would be best to help us better understand um, what Paul is talking about. And so, just again in verse 25, it says, Now about virgins. And so when Paul's saying now about the virgins, um, I was a little bit confused about what he was talking about at that point, and so I did some research and looked at a few things. And basically, uh, the best interpretation that I could find that people came up with was the idea that Paul was speaking to um, either fathers who had unmarried daughters and how, they, how the fathers needed to train up their daughters to be women, be women of God and um, good wives someday. But also it was for men who were engaged to a woman already. And then the verse goes on after that and it says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And so this was actually the part that confused me because Paul's saying that, like, this is not from God. And then I took a look at it and realized that he said, this is not a command from God. So we need to understand that God is not telling us, like it says further on in the passage, that if we get married and have a family that we are sinning, we're not sinning because it's not a command. This is merely Paul's opinion on how he wants to help these people in Corinth better live their lives for God. And then we look in verse 26, and it says, Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Um, At the beginning of verse 26, when it talks about the present crisis, I was also a little bit confused and wasn't sure. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to make sure that I had everything right, and I did a little bit more research. And Paul was actually talking about the possibility of Christ's return someday. And he wanted people to be ready for that. And trying to help them understand what the best way is for that. And I think sometimes, this is just a little bit of vulnerability here, and you can laugh at me all you want, Um, but I often thought growing up, because I wanted to marry somebody, what if Jesus comes back before I get married? I better find somebody to marry and then get married so that, you know, I'm married and can experience life kind of thing before God comes back. And now reading this, I realize how silly that is. You know, he says that it's, it's better for man to remain as he is if he's single. Don't go looking for a wife or a husband for the women. And then verse 27, it says, Are you pledged to a woman? A woman, 
then do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Then do not go looking for a wife. So again, Paul's telling us that you know if we're already married, you obviously shouldn't be seeking a divorce to become single. That is not biblical. Um, but for us single people, that we should be striving to love Christ more than anything else. We should be striving to love him. That is the phase of life that God has us in, is that we, when we are single, we are called to follow Christ continuously and look to him above all else and look for our love in who he is. And we shouldn't be striving to find that love in another man or a woman. And so, you know, just again, the 10th Avenue North song just is a great example of how we often think and are and how I was growing up as well with that. In verse 28 it says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And so Paul, he's talking about how this is an opinion. It's not a command from God. So you have not sinned if you are married. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. Now, like I said earlier, there's a lot of people here who are married. I am not married, just in case you didn't know that. Um, (laughs) However, I have heard, and I'm sure a lot of you can attest, that when you go from being single to being married, it opens a whole new ballgame as to who you are and how difficult life can be. You now have a husband or a wife that you need to care for. You... uh, you know, possibly will have children that you will be caring for someday if you choose to have children. Life gets difficult. And one thing, I took a human development class a couple years ago in school. Um, and so we went from birth until death and everything in between. One thing that we talked about was how when you get married and you start your family, it's a U-shape. So when you get married, you start at the top. And then as you continue to be married, it kind of goes down, and you have kids. And my teacher kind of joked, she was like, the kids part is down here, because that's a really difficult part. (laughs) And she said, and then the kids kind of move out, and they get older, and it starts to go back up. And so just thinking about that, Paul is telling us here that, you know, when you become married, life gets difficult. You have a lot of responsibility. You have other people that you need to care for, and you need to love. And so you're kind of, you know, you're, you're torn between loving God and possibly loving your family. And that can be a real struggle for people. And then in verse 29 it says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. When I first read that, I was just a little bit confused, especially by the end. From now on, those who have wives or even husbands should live as if they don't. And what does that mean to us? Well, you know, Paul is talking about the time being short and that we don't know when Christ is coming back. We don't know when Jesus is going to return to this earth. It could be in our lifetime. It could not be. But we need to be living our lives right now as if he's going to come back tomorrow. And so when he talks about living as if you don't have a husband or a wife, he's saying that you need to be sharing the gospel with everybody. You need to be loving everybody, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, loving those who don't know him. And the greatest, the best part, or the best way that I could help us understand this was through scripture and the Great Commission. And so we see in Matthew uh, just 28 through 18 through 20, it says this. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so right there, Jesus is telling us that the greatest thing that we could possibly ever do is sharing the gospel with people, bringing people to know Jesus and who he is. And if you've experienced that, you know how incredible it is. I don't need to stand up here and explain that to you. Um, It should just be coming out of you. And it is the greatest thing that you will ever experience. And so what does this mean for us? Um, I just, at this portion, I just kind of want to take a little bit of what it means if we are single and then also what it means if you're a married couple and how we can, or what this passage means for us. And so for those of us who are single, I think often um, as a single person, our goal is to get to the next best thing, and that's marriage. You know, like I was talking about earlier, kind of with the marriage being on top and then dating and then friendships, our next goal is to get the next best thing. And again, our culture tells us that all the time. You want bigger and better. You have the iPhone 5, you need the iPhone 6 Plus. You have this, you need that. Our culture is constantly wanting us to have the next best thing. And so being single, we often buy into that same idea. We often buy into the idea that we need, what is the next best thing? How can I find somebody who's going to love me? How can I find somebody who's going to care about me and care for me? And I just want to raise this question. What if we stopped? What if we stopped looking for that special someone? What if we stopped looking for that special someone and instead I took all of my focus and put it on God? What if I took everything that I had inside of me and I focused it all on who Jesus was and how much he loved me? What if I was content in my singleness? What if I was content in who I am because I have Jesus Christ's love, because I've experienced his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for me? What would that look like in your life instead of striving to find the next best thing? Because you've already found it. It's right there. You just need to realize that it's there and bring it out. That's something that God's been showing me a lot lately is that I need to be building kingdom relationships. And you might think, what is that? What's a, what do you mean by kingdom relationships? And what I mean by that is just kind of what I was talking about earlier with the brother-sister thing. When I think of my sister, I love my sister. My sister is one of my best friends because we grew up together and we've been through everything together. I should be looking at every woman in this congregation the same way that I look at my sister. And not like a potential, somebody who I could possibly date or marry someday. I should be looking at them as somebody who I want to show Jesus to, and I want to encourage and love. And this is something that God has just really been teaching me a lot lately, is how I can better do that, and how I can better encourage my sisters and my brothers in following Christ more. And so hopefully if you're married at this point, you haven't tuned out. Um, If you have, this is the part that you want to listen to. <laughs> um, if you are married, I think that sometimes we can think that when you know, the topic that we're learning about in church is singleness, we can just tune out. However, I'm here to encourage you and remind you and tell you that you play the biggest role in a single person's life. The biggest role. I just want to share some of my past experience um, growing up when I was in middle school, I had somebody who, he was married and already had two daughters of his own, and he was willing to come and take me under his wing. He was coming to come and pour into me and love on me. 
And I'm not saying that you need to do what he did exactly because every single Wednesday for three years during middle school, he would take me out to eat after church and he would drive me home without asking for a single penny. And I'm not saying that you need to do that, but I'm just saying that this man demonstrated to me as a single teenager what Christ's love was. Because that is the love that Christ has given us, not asking for anything in return, just asking us to share his love with other people. So the best thing that you can do as a married person or as a married couple is to encourage the single people that are in your life. And you might be wondering, well, how can I do that? I'm not plugged in with the youth group, or I don't really talk to most of the kids more than just, hey, how's it going? And I want to encourage you with this. Have them over for coffee. Maybe not coffee because they might get too high strung, but (laughs) have them over for lunch. Have them over for dinner. Invite them over. Pour into them. Listen to them. Share Share with them about your life. If you're married, you have more life experience than them. And that was the biggest thing for me is that this couple was so willing to pour into me. They were so willing to share their life experience with me. And there was another man who, uh, he came into my life a little bit later. It was about my junior year of high school. And he was actually single at the time. He wasn't married. Um, But he made the decision to love me. And then a couple years years later, he went on to become married. And his wife is like a mother to me. And he's like a father to me. And they have both taken myself under their wing because they've made the decision to love me and pour into me and encourage me. And, you know, they have a a daughter that they just adopted and they've told me, this is your niece, like, love her like she's your own niece. And that, for me, is the coolest thing. Um, You know, I think sometimes, like I said, just as married people, we don't think, you don't think that you can play a role in a single person's life or you don't know how to. I want to encourage you. Find a young person and pour into them and mentor them. Find a young person, a young single person, pour into them and mentor them. And you might be thinking, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. That's awkward. How do I go ask somebody, hey, can I mentor you? Just do what I said. Just have them over for lunch. Have them over for dinner. Talk with them. Every young person wants an older person in their life who is going to pour into them, and show them Christ's love. That's what the young people need. That's what single people need. They need to know how they can better live their life for Jesus. And that is the role of married couples, in my opinion, of um, how you can best do that. And I would challenge you to do that. I don't want to just say that and make you, you know, think that, okay, Gary just said that. It's past. I challenge you to do that. Please, please, please. I... I work with the kids here, and let me tell you, they are incredible. I know that you might not think that because they might be some years and you see them outside of church. I I understand that. (laughs) But they are incredible. They have great hearts. Great hearts. And they are waiting for somebody older than them, older than me, to love them and pour into them. I can only do so much. Trey can only do so much. It's people in the community of Jesus Christ who need to come alongside of each other, love each other, and pour into each other. And I want to challenge you with that today. And for the single people, I want to challenge you to allow somebody older to pour into you and love on you. Go over to their house, have dinner, have coffee with them, have lunch, whatever it is. Allow them to pour into you, allow them to love you, and allow them to show Christ's love to you. 
And so with that, I just want you to think about this for a second. Can you imagine this church, this community, the world, if we were just loving on each other, if we were following what Christ is talking about, and if we weren't looking for that special someone, if we were loving people the same way that Jesus Christ loved people in the Bible and the same way that he loves us, what would that look like? We would start to see a lot of the stuff that we are struggling with, a lot of our sins that we don't want to be brought to the surface. It's a lot of stuff that we don't want people to know about. And I know because I've been there, there's been stuff that I've struggled with that I don't want people to know about. But because I was willing to come out of my comfort zone, I was willing to love Jesus and follow Jesus and understand what he wanted for my life, I was willing to do that. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those two men. I would not be here. And I say that because I... I, definitely know that. There's just no way. They have had such an impact on my life. I cannot even begin to explain it to you. There's just no way that you can put into words the impact that you have on somebody's life when you love them and mentor them and pour into them. And there's another song that um, I just want to end with talking about, and it's called Divine Romance by Phil Wickham. And I was actually just listening to Pandora as I was working through this sermon and what I was going to say. And I just started listening. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I just want to read a few of the lyrics again here. And it just says this. It says, The fullness of your grace is here with me. The richness of your beauty is all I see. The brightness of your glory has arrived. In your presence, God, I'm completely satisfied completely satisfied. In the presence of Jesus, you are completely and utterly satisfied, and there is nothing else that will ever matter. Nothing else. Let's go ahead and pray.